you are tuned into Unsung Unwrapped, where we unwrap every episode of TV One's Unsung. What's good, Nick? Everything is great. Everything is great, V. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really glad that we got this new season of Unsung during the pandemic because I was worried. I was concerned, like, how many episodes we gonna get, where all the videos going to be online, like, <laughs> like Zoom interviews. Like, I yes. wasn't sure how far they'd be able to go, but I'm so glad that we've gotten some really, really good content from the Unsung producers who always do an outstanding job. Yes, I know I was super excited because I'm like, is it going to still have the same quality? And yes, it has the exact same quality that we're used to from the producers of Unsung. Yeah, they haven't missed a step. So we are on episode number two and we are talking about Leela James. Okay. I unpack my chairs for you. Do everything that you want me to. Can't believe I give you all my love. What in the world? I did not know that Lula James was from California. I don't know. She always gave me real down south, southern roots kind of vibes. Me too. Like like you felt like she could be kin to Tasia, you know, North mm-hmm. Carolina, South Carolina, somewhere. Yeah, she's got that real down home feel. Not saying that they don't they don't have that in California, but it's much different from the South. So that's something that I did not expect. Absolutely. I thought she could be like like kin to like Casey Haley. You know, just that um, Mississippi vibe. Her, mm-hmm. her singing voice has that, what I call that, that grits and gravy tone. Yeah, it seriously does. It seriously does. I also said something else. Her, or I wanted to mention this too, something else I did not expect. Her speaking voice is not what I thought it would be. Well, you know what it's like? It's like um, Michelle A. Right? Exactly. <laughs> right. It's like so her speaking voice is very much um like a little kid, like a little girl. Mm-hmm. And then when she opens her mouth to sing, it's like the whole Michelle effect. Now they don't sound alike, of course, singing wise, but it's like a a grown woman when she sings, but like a 12 year old girl when she talks. Her voice is not cartoonish. I hate to say the Michelle A's voice is cartoonish because she's a grown woman. But she could definitely do some voiceover work for Animaniacs if she needed to as Michelle A, not Leela James. But she also kind of reminded me of like Little Kim's voice too. Like, you know, Little Kim's voice is like little compared to like the big mama thing. That's actually a a good comparison. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's like you almost, you know, you got you got it going on. uh, And then you're talking like this. (laughs) You're right. So I didn't expect all that behind because she has such a powerful, gritty voice. And so it is a, a, a big contrast to her speaking voice, which I think just shows just how amazingly talented she is. So how, how do you think this stacks against the other unsung episodes, which leads me to what, Nick? The Six Degrees of Debarge. Okay, so we all know, right? If you are truly an unsungian, I just made that up. (laughs) You know that the pentacle of unsung would be the DeBarge episode, right? It has all the info and drama. It's like a good old soap opera. And so we decided to compare every new episode of unsung to the DeBarge episode with the six degrees, six degrees of DeBarge, which means 
church relationships, addiction, business deals usually going wrong, relationship issues, solo aspirations, and of course, is the story a happily ever after or a never ending story? So let's see where Leela James's unsung story matches against this. So I guess we should start with the basics, right? The foundation. The foundation is always church. When I was just a little girl, my mama told me, don't you worry, hold your head and wear a smile. Cause you're gonna have days when you feel like things ain't going your way. Just take a moment She said she sang in church as a child. She actually, if, you, if you've ever seen the movie, What's Love Got to Do With It, right? The Tina Turner story. Mm-hmm. I could just imagine her being like that little girl who played Tina Turner singing in the church. Yeah. Because she had that grown woman voice. So I could imagine like her standing on a chair in front of a mic and people were looking at her like, how old is this young lady again? <laughs> Yeah, she had a she's had a big voice. It sounds like in her entire life. And one thing that she said about her music, she calls her music back porch soul. You can't have back porch soul music without being rooted in the church like that and learning how to sing and how to command an audience and just how to lead like that without, I think, starting in church. I really don't think you can. No. And I think she was definitely influenced by um, the music that came before her. I'm sure that if you go back and look at the sounds that were played in her house, the sounds that she heard in the neighborhoods, maybe her aunts and uncles, it was probably very much that old school grits and gravy sound. Which leads us to, of course, you know, she she was singing, she aspired to sing, she got a record deal, which of course, as always, in true unsung fashion leads to record label woes. The more I give you, the more you want in return. Mm. I try to show you love, but you don't want to learn. Here's the big challenge, right, that she had, which many other artists have. In the United States, we are quick to put artists in a box. Mm -hmm. We want them to look a certain way, sound a certain way, have a certain sound in their music. And she was very quick to say, you can't put me in a box. Right. So there's always this conflict of, yes, you have talent, but we don't know if we put this project out, uh, will enough people buy the project, right? So, you know, maybe you should maybe not have your hair as natural. Mm-hmm. Maybe you should show a, a little more cleavage. Maybe your sound should sound like, your contemporaries on the radio. And that became a conflict even when she got her record deal because her project sat on the, on the shelf for about five years I with no promotion. When they lock artists up like that, I didn't know that she had been on Rough Nation. I mean, Rough House, which is part of Rough Nation, which Rough House, you know, is like up the block. Really? Like Rough House Records used to be on Callow Hill. In Philadelphia, Fuji's were signed, signed to Rough House. Cypress Hill, they were signed to Rough House. 
So that was crazy. Like when they uh, talked about the the president of Rough House and she was sitting on the couch with them, I was like, wait a minute, that's like up the street. So yeah, so she spent some time in Philadelphia recording. Wow. So, I mean, I, I just think about how frustrating it must be, right? You have this gift, you have this talent, you think that you have a record label that will support you and you find out in that view of the record label, the reality is they don't think that you're good enough with the project that you have. Mm-hmm. And so I, I tried to kind of imagine what did they want her to sound like or who did they want her to sound like? Right. What's, what's so interesting is I don't care what you want me to sound like. I'm going to sound like Leela James. That's who I am and I'm not changing for anyone. What I do like that she did, which reminds me a lot of uh, Sarah Bareilles once she was able to come out with her single music and it talks about, you know, I, I want to hear songs that I want to hear on the radio. I hear this on the radio. I want us to take it back to music when it made you feel good. It was very much like when Sarah Bareilles' breakout single was called a love song in the, in the chorus, she says, I'm not going to write you a love song because you asked for it. A lot of people thought that that was about like her, her boyfriend asking, but really she was talking back to the record label saying, I'm not going to write you a love song because you want to hit. I'm not going to write this because you're saying this is the only song, only type of songs I can gain a hit with. So that was her, her clap back to the industry. It wound up being her breakout hit. Very similar to Leela James. She said that her song music was everything that she had wanted to say to the industry. And that also wound up being her breakout hit. So that was pretty clever. Can't go back to yesterday. Yesterday. Can we just put the thumbs away? And fall back and she wanted something that would last right some of the songs are you know that come out they're like a quick fad i'm not going to mention any but there is some songs that come out and they have a really cool hook but there's nothing to it. Those are what I call the chicken broth songs. Like, if you think about a pot of spaghetti, you take the the spaghetti out the pot and throw it against the wall. She wants her noodle to stick. Everything else will hit the floor, but what I have is what she considers real music. And to me, it says a lot about her character, right? Because it's not about making the most money. It's not about the most, having the most popularity. What it's about is creating something that has meaning and purpose and that will touch people's lives. Yeah. And I think you don't see that in a lot of the music that we hear on the radio. She also said, she said she didn't want to be trendy. And I like this quote, she said, when it's good, it don't got no age. You know, so even if people say, you know, her song, her voice in music is like a throwback. She's like, really, it doesn't have an age. You know, if it's good, it's just good. So I'm thinking about, okay, so when music came out, right, she basically hit number 26 on the adult R&B chart. Yeah, I thought it went higher than that because I heard it all the time. Right. But in reality, it was only number 26. That's crazy. Right. And so her friend, Renee Randall, said she was not willing to compromise her morals Mm -hmm. and her values, which meant that, hey, it's not about the charts. I mean, charting is great. Mm -hmm. Nothing's wrong with that. But I can't change who I am to reach some goal that if I if I achieve, attain that goal, I'm not going to be me. Mm-hmm. P- 
people who know me, people who fans who love me are going to listen to my music and say, she sold her soul to reach, I don't know, number one, number two. But what, which, what was cool was that, and which is very different in the United States is that she went to Europe and they loved her. I actually have that in huge letters. Of course it was playing well in Europe. That is something that we've heard in other Unsung episodes where it's like, I went to Europe and you know, was huge over there. I've been able to sustain my career in R&B music because Europe. Billy Paul was like that. Right. Um, Shannon was like that. There's a number of artists that have been uh, able to succeed in Europe. And I think that one thing that I wish would have happened for her is that she'd have started out there earlier. Mm. How do you say that? Because she would have been appreciated earlier in Europe, I think. She, her, I feel like her career could have been stronger had she started in Europe or had she moved. She could have faked a good English accent, kind of like <laughs> Tina Turner. I just thought she was exotic. And then she did, you know. But you, but like, think, you can't keep up a lie. You can't keep up a lie, so. No, no. And I think, I think in this country, we have to start getting with the program, which is we don't, we can, it, it's okay. It's okay to embrace something different. It's okay to look beyond the color lines. It's okay not to put an artist in a box, right? Um, I know you and I are different in this way because your musical background is far more eclectic than mine, right? So when I was super young, I remember growing up in Philly and like listening to Rick D's, mm -hmm. like really young. <laughs> and I loved Madonna and I loved Cyndi Lauper and somewhere around middle school, I changed and everything had to be R&B and everything had to be hip hop. And I myself was guilty of, okay, as an African-American woman, this is what I'm supposed to listen to. Mm -hmm. And this is all that I'm supposed to listen to. And I think that people who, who had the same mindset as me need to kind of shed that. We're, we're not embracing all the greatness of music like people in Europe are. Well, to that, I do say, I think you, you like what you like. And I don't think it's a matter of them not, of them in your embracing different types of music. Cause really the core of it is they love soul music and they really don't care who it comes from. So they have been able to appreciate black artists doing soul music at its core over there than over here. Cause over here we're like, well, well, especially at that time, let's say at that time, who's on the remix? You know, like, is this bumping in the clubs? Like that, during the time when she came out, because think about it, I didn't, I didn't even realize this. She opened up for James Brown. I did not realize that her first album was so old that James Brown was still alive during that time. Oh my goodness. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't realize that's how long she's been out. So during that time, what they were looking for was, they're always looking to cross over over here. And I think that's why a lot of soul artists tend to just fare better over in Europe because they just want you to be sold. They don't want you to cross over. They appreciate you for who you are, where you are. I think you're right. I, I agree with you. Maybe over there, they're not boxing in. Like they love soul music. They love that old school sound, that grits and gravy sound. And it doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter. Come over here and give us what, what we want. And, and they embrace, right? So you have music, you have her going to Europe and she's touring and the European culture is embracing her. And then this kind of like a, a silent period. 
because of course you're only as good as your next hit and when she releases her album fall for you she releases it with say that which is the duet with anthony hamilton which is the perfect pairing male and female version of each other their voices together remind me of oh it always comes back to food sometimes it reminds me of like when the collard greens touch the candy yams on the plate you know what i'm saying like whew, that's a good <laughs> they just marry you know what i'm saying like they're they're good separate but together like if you get a little bit of, of the one on the uh, you looking at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. You've been at my house before. Uh, listen, <laughs> I agree with you because it's like um, two old people singing. Um, and, and I'm not saying that to be to be shady. I'm like, I'm like, it's like some Al Green. You know what I mean? Old people singing. Look, look, this just a certain sound, okay? Whether you go to 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 listen to the blues you just feel like you need some collard greens and cornbread some candy yams some something smothered in gravy that's what their voices sound like they do they should always tour together they should always tour together they, she wrote a song for him they should always write together they they should be a package a tour package deal all the time like um, how Billy has Billy Joel and Elton John have gone out on tour together and they co-headline and sometimes they swipe, they swap uh headlining. Like they're they're a package deal. I feel like they could do casinos, they could do Vegas, like they're just that <laughs> they're just that perfect together. They just they just make sense. They do make sense. So okay. So now we have that hit with thank God. <laughs> Why do you say think of? Because I, I really needed something to happen for her. I was really getting frustrated <laughs> with the delay at the label. You know, all the stuff I always get frustrated with when we watch these episodes. You know, the industry drama, doing well in Europe, but not over here. Um, having, you know, you're, you to work hard on a project only for it to get shelved, which to me is just slavery. It's just frustrating. I think she's, I just really grew to love her and really appreciate her during this episode. And so every time something happened to her, I was like, oh. <laughs> every time like I thought something was gonna get better, like when she got signed to Stacks, And right. I was thinking, oh my God, she would, in the sixties, she would have killed on Stacks. Like that's just the kind of artist she would have been in the sixties. And every time something like, it seemed like something good would happen. It just seemed like something would, you know, kind of, Wash her back to shore, and I hated that. Well, you know what? The other challenge is that she has a mature sound, right? So because her sound is so mature, it's going to gravitate to a certain clientele of music, okay? She was a young singer, but her voice was not young. So I think more mature people purchased her music, and I think that the younger people, and you, you can tell me if you disagree, the younger people, I think, 
have more purchasing power when it comes to music, right? Because younger generations, they want everything. We want the concerts and the t-shirts and they're willing to spend more money than maybe the more mature sounding acts. I don't know. What do you think about that? I think even though she, she in age, she's not as old as her sound can be mm-hmm. or can present itself to be. Um, I think she has fallen into the same dilemma that you would say mm-hmm. of some, some older artists. You know, I know for me, like, and I, I'm wrong for this. I'll admit it. Streaming makes me think I own things. It really does. Like I'll go to look for something on a playlist in iTunes and I'd be like, oh, not only do I not own that, it's on vinyl somewhere. It was on a CD somewhere. It was on a mixtape somewhere. Like I don't own it. Just because I have it like on a playlist, like on Spotify or something doesn't mean that it's on my computer. I still have not than the whole, I, I hate iTunes, I don't like it. So when you are stubborn like me and older, you know, I'm not in my twenties. So a lot of us have not switched up. Nikki, I know you know what I'm talking about. You have a book of CDs in your in your car right now. I was, I was about to say, I'm still, I need to touch it. I really need to touch it. And um, there are some artists that, that their music's coming out right now. And I'm like, like Jasmine Sullivan. And I'm so mad that I have to purchase her stuff online. I'm like, can I get a CD? And I remember, I remember vinyl and saying I would never buy a CD. And then they forced my hand. And now they're telling me I have to do things with streaming. And I'm like, I just, I want to hear the crackle of vinyl. Yeah. I want to read the liner notes. I, w- I want to know who wrote it. I want to know who's on the, on the background. I need to have music in my hand. Now everything's about streaming. And I'm just like, I feel like we're disconnecting from the relationship with the project, right? So we're both old enough to rec- to, to remember eight tracks and, <laughs> eight tracks and albums. Nothing, <laughs> but, but, but we're old enough with albums to, to remember actual album covers and opening up the album cover, laying oh, on yeah. the floor with your headphones on, examining all the photographs. I think that that also connects with music and now the younger generation they're like we just went quick fast and in a hurry and so there again is this gap where the the young people who are spending a lot of the money are like "Mm, we're not really into you don't really need that and it it yes for us that remember that that has a lot to do with our experiences with music yes not to be shameless plug but my other podcast, the first time I heard, talks about that. Like it, it, it's really what came from that is that music was my the was the best babysitter for me because I would just be in the living room, going through my dad's records, going through my mom's records, reading liner notes. You know, sitting on the floor, sitting on the couch, reading liner notes. Um, so for a lot of us, we have these experiences with music that goes just beyond just listening to things for the first time, but just the moments that we really spent being engulfed in that. And I think that that is the kind of music that Lily James has. I think that's the kind of career that she wants. I think that's the kind of memories and, and catalog that she wants to be attributed to her legacy. Um, even She even put out a collection of Etta James songs, you know, yes. she's, she's done that, which, uh, I just actually need to get into that. And I thought, I was like, 
I would like that on vinyl. I don't want to stream that. Um, she, you know, she, she's always stuck to who she, who she truly is. And I think for her, as difficult as it's been, I hope that she sees it as being beneficial. And I really hope that this episode has done well for her when the world does open back up for people to really want to experience her live. Let me tell you something. I like the song that she released, the Fall For You song, mm-hmm. right? Which which they said, you know, it was like a wedding song. And let me tell you why I like it. Here we are together And everything between us is good I'm riding this cloud, baby Ready to fly, but before I take Little do people know that although I love R&B soul music, I have a little love for some country music. Oh, okay. is that right? Listen, little twang. My first album, my first album ever as a child was Kenny Rogers' The Gambler. You got to know when to hold up. Know when to fold up. Know when to walk away. Know when to run. So I remember like being eight and my mom taking me to the to the record store. Now we say record store now, you know, back then. And my mom said, you can get any album. What do you want? And I remember pointing to the gambler. I want that one. And my mom was like, are you sure? Like, I'm from the hood of West Philly. Who the heck is playing the gambler? And I, I was, this song like the gambler that kind of speaks to the thug in you, Nikki. I feel, if you'd have told me it was like Crystal Gale or somebody no, or Barbara no, no, Mandrell, no, no, no. I'd no, have no, some no. questions. But something about you got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them. <laughs> and then you, and then you're distrust of people when it comes to your business. You never count your money while you sitting at the table. I see how that spoke to you as a child. <laughs> But it's also it's also good storytelling. Country music has great good stewardship. I was like, ma'am. Country music has has great storytelling. And so when you listen to the lyrics of Fall For You, you connect to that. If Mm -hmm. you know, even though I'm a thug, like there is still that soft part of me deep, 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 deep inside that likes to hear that love story, that that moment where you can say, I can just let go, right? Mm-hmm. And and just fall for you, like take a nasty plunge into the pool, like the commercial. So I think that she has these moments, right? Yeah. Where these songs are released that touch people in, in a way that needs to be touched at that point in their lives. And so I give her accolades for knowing that fall for you was a song that would touch people yeah, in it, a way at that moment in their life. You're beautiful in all the right ways I'm sure I said this before Speaking of love and love songs, uh, she talked about how she did not know love until she had her first child, which I, I thought was, was beautiful for her. I think I think a lot of people might feel that way because yeah. that's a different type of love, right? Mm-hmm. That love is more permanent. 
Because with children, you're not so quick to be like, look, you got to pack yourself and get out of my house. We'll tolerate more. We'll embrace more. We see ourselves in. Mm-hmm. But what I thought was interesting was they never really mentioned the daddies. I was so curious, right? Because she has two children. Mm-hmm. And it was like, hey, in 2011, she had a daughter. It didn't work out. <laughs> you know, she's like, mm-hmm. no, no harm, no foul. It didn't work out. Yeah. And then in 2016, she had a son. She got married. We don't know who the daddy is. It just didn't work out. One thing she said that I thought was funny. You can get married. You can get divorced. I chose both. <laughs> she said, I ain't gonna hold you. I chose both. And it wasn't even like, um, you know how, how Mary, Mary J., when she has a breakup, it's like a good song that comes after that, right? Mm-hmm. And you feel like somebody's about to get something placed on fire or something. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you just feel like with Lila James, she'll write a song about just the next chapter. No harm, no foul, no bitterness. It just didn't work out, boo. It's okay. I almost feel like maybe, maybe the men were probably more upset than she was like maybe they came home unknowingly and like why why are my things on the porch <laughs> i just kind of visualized like she would have actually nicely packed the suitcases like no it's no bit in this baby and i fried you some chicken to take with you you know what i mean i don't know <laughs> where you're gonna go yeah you know here's a little chicken and a little honey cornbread Mm. You know, little red beans and rice. I put in a little Tupperware container. You don't even have to return the Tupperware container. I'm just going to go ahead and let that go, baby. No, we don't need anything. She just strikes me as that type of woman. Well, it did. I mean, it did contribute to another number one hit, Don't Want You Back, went number <laughs> one. Two o'clock in the morning, you on my phone trying to talk to me, man. Saying that you want me back, you need me back. And you should have never left me There you go, talking that shit Same most, don't want to hear that shit, no I remember when you had me You treated me bad, you treated me badly You had a good thing I did not know that Don't Want You Back made it higher than music I was shy Okay, so can I tell you what this song reminds me of? Not sound-wise Mm-hmm. But theme-wise, mm-hmm. the, the song reminds me of um, a couple years ago, Keisha Cole put out a song called You, mm-hmm. right? And she's like, you know, I, I'm done messing with you for the last time. You know, it's it's over. You picked the wrong one, baby. You picked the wrong mm-hmm. one. You know, and I'm like, I had to go and like play the song like, yeah, it's not that it sounds like it, of course. Right. But the theme is like, I'm not even mad, boo. I'm just done. And and we move on. We move on. Even when you look at the video of the song, right? Mm-hmm. You kind of feel like, yeah, it's it's not even personal. We sitting around playing spades as we do. And I'm just letting you know that I've moved on to the next portion of my life. No tears. Just just out of here. She didn't appear to me to be a high drama person, which is why I was surprised that she made it to RB Divas. And she wasn't on there long. Usually people that are not high drama don't last on these shows long, either because the producers think they're boring or they go, you know what? There's some other things that I'd rather do in my life than spend it with people that I really would not like if it weren't for this show and this job. I think it was good 
promotionally because if you didn't know who Leela James was, you could hear her. Now, mm-hmm. of course, you know, I love reality television. So I did yes. watch R&B Divas. And I'm like, okay, because I really didn't know Leela James. Mm-hmm. And on the show, she didn't bring a lot of drama. It was really about the music. And I'm like, you know, maybe I am a little more interested. You know, it, it was mm-hmm. always the contrast that she looks like she's about three foot two. She does look little. With a lot of hair. Yes. And a very big voice. And so she was interesting. But she did have a storyline, which kind of brings us to uh, back to relational issues, which was very sad because she mm-hmm. documented her best friend, Teresa, and Teresa's battle with cancer. So mm-hmm. she used the platform of reality television to bring awareness about a very serious issue. And so we got to meet a best friend, Teresa. We got to kind of learn about Teresa's story. And sadly, she succumbed to to cancer. But I love the fact that Leela used that platform that could be used just for foolishness to bring awareness. I admire her so much. I really do. I really came away from this episode really, really liking her. Another thing that I really liked about her was that she uh, started a project called Leela James and the Truth Band, which makes so much sense to me. I definitely see a rocker in her. It just, it made a lot of sense. Um, You know, I love the Afropunk festivals and I could totally see her at Afropunk because she she belongs to be on those stages. She definitely has that that rock edge to her, which makes her, you know, she could do Etta James. She could do gospel if she wanted to. She could, you know, have a punk band if she wants to. She's just a little powerhouse. I think, I think, and I know she doesn't want to be put in a box, but when I saw her with that band, it just took me to Tina Turner. Oh, yeah, right? yeah. Because Tina Turner was definitely grits and gravy in the beginning of her career, right? With Ike, she was grits and gravy. And then she just decided, you know what? I'm gonna do whatever makes me happy. And I'm not gonna be concerned when people say you're a middle-aged African-American woman. No, I'm just gonna go over to Europe where they are uh, more embracing and I'm going to do what I love. And so I say kudos because Mm -hmm. again, she's not willing to sell her soul. She is to me, the definition of a musician because a true musician, and this is just my opinion, Mm -hmm. a true musician is going to create music because they love it. If nobody ever hears it, if they never get a, a dime for it, it's just who they are. And that's just who she is. Yeah. I think she's really just gone in the direction of where she wants to go creatively. And I admire that greatly about her. Stephen Ivory, a music uh, journalist and commentator who's regularly on Unsung, said that her music evolves because it's the real thing. Her career evolves because it's the real thing. A lot of people call it old school. I call it real school. I like that. I think, yeah, I like that. I think she's very much kept it real to what she believes in. I don't see her singing anything that would be inauthentic. Yeah, I think everything, like, she's like, listen, if this is, if I have to sell my soul to get a record deal, then I'll just sing on YouTube. Yeah, she's I'll like, just, I could be doing something else. I, I will just grab a guitar or get a band and we'll just travel at coffee houses um, before I sell my soul. And then look at my legacy and watch the demise of who I am. Um, also to her credit, and I think 
we have to acknowledge her, her mother, right? Yes. Her mother definitely gave her a grounding force because when Leela was hitting hard times and sleeping in her car and finally like, you know what? I'm about to give this thing up. You know, it's her mother that came and said, no, that's not what we're going to do. A change is going to come, right? Which of course, then, then anybody who's like me is thinking here in Sam Cooke, in their mind but the the name of her her first album too right and the thing is the thing is like that foundation her mother's like you can't see it right now but god is working on something right now and i think that that is her her foundation of who she is that even when the industry says well um i don't know if we want to embrace you right now or invest in you god is investing i don't mean to turn this into a preacher service but she acknowledges she understands that there's an, a, a spiritual investment happening when the record company is not investing in her she's willing to just trust and believe that that she is good enough as she is and that again goes to the foundation of her mother so shout out to moms yeah can we talk about how no one that signed to a record label should be living in their car no one it should be embarrassing for any record label to have anyone on their roster that could be living in their car i was furious but you know what i realized in the music industry it's not really a partnership i now feel that and i never knew this but i now feel that when you sign um a contract okay with a with a record company it's like being employed by Walmart, right? Like Walmart doesn't care if you're sleeping in your car. You're going to come and do what we tell you to do. It's not a partnership. It should be a partnership. I understand that the record industry, the record companies are investing, but it it just becomes cookie cutter for a lot of the things. So it's like, we don't really care if you're struggling. You're right. It's like working at Walmart. You are an employee of the record company and not a partner. But look, she still was willing to go. I'm just going to sleep here. I don't know if I, if I would have been willing to do that. I would have like sang some jingles somewhere. I would have done something. But she was like, I'm willing to even hide it from her mother that I'm just going to sleep in this car, believing that tomorrow will be a better day. But I agree with you. Record companies are, it's about you becoming their employee and not about the art of music. I mean, an artist's well-being should be way higher on the priority list than it seems to be a lot of times. And that's really unfortunate, but I'm glad she came out of it. So, I mean, in regards to the six degrees of, of DeBarge, She's four out of six. She's four out of six. I mean, she, I didn't hear anything about like money woes as far as like management, you know, taking money or anything like that. Um, as far no as collaborations, I know we talk about that a lot in regards of groups, but I will say that with her band, Leela James and the Truth, I think it was good is that she had the freedom to be able to do that. She was able to diversify a bit and she had the freedom to do that, which I think is really good, which I'm really, really proud of her for. Right. And you don't hear anything about addiction. So thank goodness she go. was able to stay healthy and, and happy without um, using foreign substances to kind of um, dull any kind of disappointment or tragedy she may have experienced. So four out of six. 
Is she a happily ever after story or a never ending story? She is happily ever after because she did it her way. Hmm, that's good. All right, I changed my answer then. No, no. Why? Why did you <laughs> say? Why were you going to say never ending story? I think maybe because I want a bit more for her. But you know what? Now that you say happily ever after, because she's done things her way, I think success can be defined differently for different people. Right. And um, and I've, it's, it's funny because I've actually told other artists this, like you have to define what success is for yourself. And if success means you have a good core group of fans that you know you can travel over here, you can go on tour, you can go to this country, you can go over here and you know you can sell this amount of tickets and you can do the, the music that you want to do and live modestly, if that is success for you, then that is being successful. I think in, in, in that vein, she's very successful. I think that's what it comes down to, right? What is your goal when you enter the industry? Is your goal about 25 Grammys? Is your goal about, I wanna be worshiped and adored? Or is your goal about creating something that you wanna share with like-minded people? Mm -hmm. And like-minded people may not mean millions. It may mean 100,000, 200,000, 300,000. Is that something that we shouldn't want to reach. I'm just trying to take my passion and share it with people who enjoy the same things that I do. And it really doesn't matter about all the um, awards because I've seen people get accolades that I'm like, how did that happen? <laughs> How did you get a Grammy? How are we calling this R&B? Don't get me started. Right, right, right. So I think she has found peace in embracing who she is and sharing that to the people who want to receive it. For that, she's happily ever after. Do you think she was unsung? Um, I don't know if she was unsung yet. I know she's been in the game for a minute, but I probably would have had... Um, a few more years under her belt for me to call her unsung, mm -hmm. right? Um, from And it's just my perspective. I kind of, when I see an unsung artist, I'm asking how did they influence the musical landscape? That's just me, okay? Mm -hmm. That's just the way I see it. And I just would have liked a few more years under her belt so I could say this is how she impacted the musical landscape. And I don't know if I could say that at this very moment, like a lasting impact. What about you? I agree. I would have wanted to either give her a couple more years or it would have been, it would have made sense for her to be on Uncensored. Yes. That would have made sense because I think, I think shows like Uncensored are good for maybe artists that don't fit on Unsung because you're like, you know what? I know of this person, but I don't really know about this person. Like, I felt like Mars Day for me made sense. Right. Because in, in the same vein of how, if you're talking about The Temptations, you're going to need a whole other show to talk about David Ruffin and Eddie Kendricks. Yes. The different, you know, members that make that up. So it made sense to do, because it was like, we don't know anything about Mars Day. So that made sense. Um, I wasn't asking to know a lot about Leela James to the point where I'm like, she's unsung. But she even said herself, she said that she, she doesn't even really see herself as being unsung. She said, I did want to tell my story. And she says, I'm not unsung, I'm unsungin. 
thought that she's at the point where she's truly unsung, but she wanted to tell her story. And I think that that's what's great about shows like this is that it gives our artists an opportunity to be seen and tell the side of the story about their career that, you know, music fans would like to hear. I'm about to go listen to some Leela James right now. <laughs> and get some collard greens and cornbread. Oh, they all go together. Absolutely. I think what I got in the fridge is fried. Anyway, so who you got next, Nick? Come on, everybody. Put your so hands I'm so on super this. stoked because the next episode will be Hezekiah Oh man. I'm telling you, it's gonna be Hezzy Day. So get ready to go to the to the old country buffet for you church folk. To some good gospel music and overeating like me, we're gonna get that popping in the next episode. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Unsung Unwrapped. You can check us out on social media. Please connect with us at Unsung Unwrapped on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter. I'm live tweeting on Twitter during Unsung episodes with the rest of the Unsung Ambassadors. I think that's what they call them on Twitter. We have a lot of fun on there. Again, thank you so much for tuning in this episode. I'm Toya Haynes. And I'm Nikki Wright. And this is Unsung Unwrapped.